0: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. You're
1: listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. It's about this time of the year the firecrackers come out. And here in Hong Kong and in Chinatowns across the world, you're more than likely to come across dragons and lions in the streets, accompanied by drummers. And there's a good chance you'll be hearing this song in the street markets and in supermarkets. That's Hong Kong musician Sam Ho singing Chai Shandou, which means the god of fortune has arrived. It's become an evergreen song around the Lunar New Year holiday in Hong Kong and for the global Cantonese diaspora as well. It's like when Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You starts playing in the shops, TV commercials, the radio, everywhere. When you hear it, you know it's that time of the year. If you speak Cantonese, it's Gong Hei Fa Chou. If you speak Mandarin, it's Gong Xi Fa They both mean wishing you prosperity and happiness. And with that, welcome to our Lunar New Year special of Inside China. I'm Holly Chick speaking to you on the eve of the Lunar New Year holiday from our studio here at the South China Morning Post. And given we are here in Hong Kong, we're going to talk mostly about the traditions in the Cantonese speaking part of Southern China. With me today is my colleague from the Culture Desk, Lisa Kem. Hiya, Holly. How you doing? Great. Lisa, it's a time of the year when people who aren't Chinese get very interested in their Chinese zodiac sign. So let's start with the basics. We're about to begin the year of the rabbit. So what year do you need to be born to be a rabbit person?
0: Well, unlike the conventional zodiac, the Chinese zodiac is actually per year. So it's actually a 12-year cycle. It actually relates to the time Jupiter orbits around the Earth. So it's easier if you count back. So I think the last year of the rabbit would have been 2011. So every 12 years before, that would be 1999, 1987. Now, with these years, it's not complete because Chinese New Year runs by the lunar calendar. And by that, it means it starts anywhere between January, which is this year, and February. For people born in that month, it'll be good to do a quick Google and see like, when Chinese New Year fell on the year that they were born. So like myself, I'm a January. If I go by the year, it would be another year. But because I was born just before Chinese New Year, I'm a sheep. So just between those two months, you've got to just be a little bit careful. Got it, Lisa. And happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Well, and I'm guessing the second question would be, what does it mean to be a rabbit person? You know, this is the the year for them.
0: If you think about like, you know, how Gemini is supposed to be two-faced, Chinese translation is a lot more direct. And it's hard to believe that people of the same year would share the exact same characteristics but they do have labels. For example, they're more timid, they're um, shy, they're friendly. You know, it's characteristics like that. I think famous rabbits include Anita Moy, David Beckham, Anita Jolie, even Albert Einstein. If you want to check it out, we've got a great infographic online that you could take a look at.
1: Yeah, now I want to remind everyone listening to our podcast that our international award-winning graphics team have published a really helpful, easy-to-use interactive guide to the new year and the Chinese zodiac that's up on the front page of our website at scmp.com. You can just type in your birthday and find out your Chinese zodiac sign. And it's not all about the rabbits, is it, Lisa? Can you tell us about the relationship with some of the other zodiac signs?
0: Well, if you think about it, like I just said, how it relates to the Jupiter's orbit around the Earth, these signs in Feng Shui, there are a certain entity called a Tai So, which is translated as a guardian deity. And this guardian deity actually dictates how the zodiacs fare in um, that particular year or that cycle. So, for example... Last year was the year of a tiger, so weaker zodiacs, such as a pig, which is something a tiger would totally prey on, that particular zodiac would not fare too well. Whereas this year in the rabbit, now you could also check out the great video that the video team has come up with that I helped produced on the predictions of this year. We got a very great Feng Shui Sifu called Tombek Ha, and um, she gave very practical tips on how each zodiac would fare. I think this year, I think Year of the Snake doesn't fare too well because they're seen to be as preying on the rabbit. And it's also the position on the zodiac wheel they are. So if you are a rabbit in a rabbit year, that usually means you're not going to do too well because, like, I've asked a feng shui master before and they said there's some kind of element of jealousy. So usually if you're the same one, it doesn't fare too well. And if you're on the opposite of the zodiac wheel, which... Give me a minute, i got to recite the Zodiacs in order in Chinese because I learned that when I was a little girl. So monkey, actually, is exactly directly across from the Zodiac wheel. So they don't usually fare too well either. And people who don't fare too well, like the Sifu suggested, there are certain things to protect yourself. I remember my mom would read the Almanac every year and tell me, like, you know, this is a bad year for you. And you've got to wear an amulet of a protecting deity. For example, one year I had to wear like a golden dragon. And even some masters will tell you that you need it on a red string or a gold chain. That manifested into jewellery and colours that you wear a certain year. There's also lucky numbers that you could wear or use. This is manifested in certain ways in Hong Kong. For example, jewellers, even designers, you would see has come out with certain part of the zodiac on their clothing. I think walking our way past a lot of these designer stores in our office in Times Square, you can already see it around Chinese New Year. It could come in clothes. There is also, in Hong Kong, numerology is so much part of your daily lives and that year as well. So the numbering of number plates on cars, is also how it's, how much it's auctioned is affected by that. Of course, like, you know, I think someone who is a serious who would bid for um, a number plate would actually consult a Feng Shui Master and their personal one and not just follow that year. But numerology does play a huge part in how to defend your luck and all that. As in colors, I don't know if anyone's walked past any lingerie shop in Hong Kong recently, but you will definitely see a lot of red underwear, even for men or women, because in old school ways, them to protect yourself from offending the deity... You're supposed to wear red just to like, you know, boost your luck as the year passes through. So on the strike of midnight that night, you are supposed to wear like red underwear to protect yourself and boost your luck for that. And um, what else? Well, going to the temple after Chinese New Year, if you go past Manmo Temple or Wang Tai Sin around Chinese New Year, it is to help people boost or change their luck for the coming years. It's become such an institution. It is organized. They also have to regulate the incense that they put in because it smokes and it affects the workers there. So they're allowed to put those out as soon as you put it in because it just gets jammed. Um, another thing that I haven't followed that I know of is that also a lot of people around Chinese New Year to show that they are very devout to the Buddha or the Taoist God or like Guanyin or Guan Di is that they have to go to the temple and be the first person to put the incense in. We have a lot of pictures of that. I remember on SEMP that people just standing there like, you know, an incense running in their eyes and they just have to be the first person the strike of midnight to put that first incense in because that shows how devout you are and that also translates to helping with your luck in the following year.
1: Lisa, can you tell us more about how the Lunar New Year Festival actually affects consuming habits this time of the year?
0: Well, first of all, everybody has to get their hair cut before Chinese New Year, because you want to present yourself in the best possible way. You don't want to be bedraggled or anything like that. But I think, like, you know, if you trace it back to ancient customs, like using scissors, the hairdresser and the person themselves, it's actually dangerous, right? Like, you know, scissors weren't as sharp as they were, there's not as much precision. And you don't want to be cutting your hair around Chinese New Year and you lopped a bit off your ear and cause a lot of drama, I suppose. I mean, apart from that, buying chickens at the wet market, oh my God, because having chicken is a must-have item in a Chinese meal. And when you go to the market to get the live chickens, okay, as a foodie, and Food Reporter, it does taste better. But the nice old lady that you usually let go first in the elevator or the nice old man that opens the door for you, he will elbow you out of the way with no fear and no regret, no apology whatsoever because everybody's got to get their fresh chicken. Um, I remember standing there one year going, I just want a chicken and the guy took pity on me <laughs> amongst the melee of people and and I was like, oh, just grab a ticket, I'll get, come back. <laughs> um, and then there's also also Also, flowers, the flower market, because, you know, you're supposed to have a spring of fresh air in your house, you know, signs of life. So to populate your house around um, Chinese New Year flowers is a given. Oh my gosh, going to the flower market around this year, you tell me. <laughs> it's, it's like, I'm afraid to bring my son there. Like, you know, he'll be squished and I'll lose him. <laughs> but like, you know, getting beautiful flowers around this time is, is a must as well. Florists will be inundated with requests for flowers. And Hong Kong people in particular like orchids, but that's not a given around the world. And the mandarins as well. So there are mandarin trees
1: everywhere across the city right now. Can you tell us more about that?
0: Mandarins, if you translate it to Cantonese, is gut, which is fortune. I mean, we're very literal in our traditions. So having as many mandarins around symbolizes prosperity and fortune, and we want as many of that. We want that in our homes, we want that on the streets. And and actually, if you see the reactions of older Chinese people, it is more or less like, you know, if you see the glint in their eye, it is exactly the same as a kid around Christmas with a Christmas tree.
1: Yeah, and they're in this beautiful golden colour.
0: Yeah, I think some people actually eat them as well. But from my experience, the ones that are actually bred to last longer on the branches in Hong Kong are extremely sour. <laughs>
1: So I've got a question here from one of our producers. Jared wants to know about what gifts he can give to his Chinese neighbours and says he's heard it's good to give
0: oranges. Is that right? I think that's uh, it's not good in particular to give oranges, but if you have to gift fruit, then oranges are a lot better than apples and pears. Because in Chinese, apples and pears end in the word guo, and if you're sharing, that means fun hung. And that actually translates to funguo, which means you are separating, you are splitting apart. So that's actually bad juju. So it's much better to give oranges or pomelos, which is another one. You would understand that when you know when you start delving into Chinese traditions, it's actually quite literal. So, you know, pomelo actually translates to lo yao in Cantonese and, like, you know, if you phonetically move it aside, it's lo yao, which is happy with everything. But I have seen in recent years, harvesters have been growing their apples with a sticker on it so that when it photosynthesized, it actually has the word like, you know, hey or gong Hey fa Choi on it to just boost the prosperity of a red apple. And I've seen people actually gifting those now because I think that kind of the actual label on it devoids it of the bad juju. But yeah, if you're gifting, um, a lot of the times it's food because Chinese people, we love to eat, right? Um, candy because it's sweet and it makes people smile and it's happy. I've seen a lot of people gift noodles as well, but... Premium noodles. Don't 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 grab a packet of instant noodles because um sao sao min," which means like you know, longevity. And, you know, all things good, really, like, you know, cans of abalone, dried goods, like, you know, those prices could go through the roof and like, you know, just show your sincerity. A lot of people, if you're not gifting food, you also have to keep in mind that you're gifting good things. OK, don't give clocks like song songjong, which actually means funeral in Chinese. Don't gift mirrors, which actually tells people to reflect on themselves. <laughs> which is kinda of too judgy. That's a few that comes to mind. But like, you know, just remember you have to gift good things. So all the way up to um like, you know, jewelry or whatever. But like, you know, don't take the shabby route. And there's another
1: tradition with complicated rules. The red envelopes LIC. How does that work?
0: All right. Now, the thing to remember is that this has evolved quite differently in different parts of China and Asia.
1: Well, let me just jump in here to clarify. si actually means money.
0: Yes, it does. I mean, we're very practical people. We like to give people money when it's a celebration. What's better than money <laughs> in, in, in a Chinese mindset? And also, I mean, like, you know, it's not just Chinese New Year. We gift each other money during weddings and big celebrations, like, you know, giving see and giving out money because it makes people smile. So yes, it might seem direct, but like, you know, putting it in a red envelope just makes it that much more polite.
1: So can you tell us some of the rules of giving see
0: Can I give Lacey? Well, First of all, it is seen that people are married are supposed to give everyone see, unless it's their elders or like their mom, their grandmothers, or their uncles and aunts. As soon as you're married, the next year you're supposed to give everyone, like even colleagues that you meet after a Chinese New Year, um, children for sure, and security guards in your building, even like, you know, people that help you, the receptionist, um, anybody that, that gives you a hand, even the guy that's standing at the boom gates at the parking lot, you know, anyone that seems as helping you, you have. To To give them like, see, it's courteous. For anyone that's like, oh man, like, you know, do I have to do that? Just think about it as like, do I have to tip if I go to America, right? We don't tell you off for not giving it to us, so we're not as bold as Americans, but trust me, we're judging behind you when you don't. On another note, like, you know, if you're an employer, as soon as you're an employer or a supervisor of any sorts, even if you're not married, you must gift Lycee to your subordinates. It's also good manners if you are anyone in a position of power to gift even just the IT guy, the lady that washes the toilets, the lady that washes your dishes, the cleaning lady, the security guard, like I said, the delivery. Delivery boy. That guy used to make bank when I was working at the bank. He would come by and say hi to everybody. Rumor has it, he makes upwards of like twelve, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in a bank from Lycee. Also, the number of Lycees that you give out, is it one envelope or two envelopes? As a married couple, you have to give out two. For example, if I give it out to my cousin who's not married yet, as a married couple, I would give him two. That doesn't mean my husband repeat another two again, but as a married couple, you always give out two. The only instances where I see people who are married who give out one is either if they're divorced or if they're widowed. So it's actually, if you are still a married couple, then it's actually unlucky for you to give out just one. However, when you are in an office environment and representing yourself, and not in a social context, it is also okay to give out one licensee. Again, I have to emphasize, because I have been in this situation where I've seen employers and supervisors claim that they're not from this culture, um, and it's like, you know, oh, or I'm not married, I don't give out licensee. It doesn't matter. As soon as you're in a position of power, tip the (laughs) bellboy. Just think about it as tipping, like you tip people in America so you don't get told off and not seen as an asshole, so do that same thing in Asia.
1: Well, let's circle back and talk about food. Us Chinese people love our food. Tell us more about the food that's served
0: during the reunion meal. Well, it's about all good things. But the basics to have at a Tun Fan, or reunion or family gathering meal, is basically the rules for any large family gathering event throughout the year, such as mid-autumn or winter solstice. Most importantly is that whole chicken, there has to be meat, and a whole fish. And then everybody embellishes any way they want, right? Sky's the limit. Pull out the abalone, uh, you know, pull out all the the sea cucumbers or anything that you want. It's about having the best meal of the year. A good way to end off the meal is tong yun, which is everything's a dumpling, but it is a glutinous rice dumpling that's sweet, usually had with like a kind of like a ginger syrup because it sounds like kunyun, which means togetherness. So this time of year, everybody's out trying to get the best tongyun. My friend just went to the wet market and got me the bomb, fresh made ones. But another thing that we must remember is that the total number of dishes on the table cannot equal seven, because that actually correlates to a meal had after the funeral, which only has seven dishes. So you must be either below or above. Now, I've seen people cheat it in the way by putting a big bowl of the, soup onto the table or the ingredients of a soup like because you put such good ingredients in soup around Chinese New Year such as like bits of meat or abalone again or dried scallops and good things they could actually be eaten individually so they would scoop up the ingredients of the soup and put that on an extra dish to count as an extra dish so it doesn't equal seven but just remember the number on the table must not equal seven. There's also symbolism in the food, isn't there? Tell us more about the various cakes. Oh, are you talking about the lingo? Well, that actually worked itself into Chinese culture as well. Look, it's supposed to be around all year round. Lingo, maybe not, but turnip cake, lo bako, that's consumed all year round. But I think it's because the word of like go, which means like, you know, Rising and progression. So that is eaten, like, you know, gifted around Chinese New Year. I also guess, like, you know, the lingo, which is sweet, like, you know, gets a bit rich. So people would rather consume another go, which is lo bako around this time. And of course, now, like, you know, because it makes money, you got all restaurants and hotels pushing out all different kinds, like taro and and golden cakes and all sorts of different go. What I do like is a story that was told to me by someone that makes the dried sausages and dried meats. and I'm interviewed last year, and he told me that it's agrarian tradition to dry your meats. And Chinese people dry it like, you know, they're lap cheung or yuncheng, which is a Chinese sweet sausage and liver sausage. And when Chinese New Year comes around, it's supposed to be spring which signifies, like, you know, you can start harvesting and consuming, like, fresh food again. And he said that the act of making lobako is to finish up your stores of dried meats and put it into that one and just to end the season, you know, quite um, neatly like that. And I really liked that when he told me, of course, with global warming, who knows <laughs> if that holds any significance anymore, but I really like the idea of
1: that. Lisa, we're seeing all these decorations that are being hung over people's doorways. The
0: fai chun Tell us what they mean. They're just really good Chinese New Year sayings. Like some si saying, "Sun Tai gin Hong." I actually have one that is like really long. I can't remember it off by heart, but it's a, actually a two-word poem like a two-sentence poem that I like to hang out around Chinese New Year. So a lot of the times, if you're hanging them vertically, if it's on a wall, it it should be in doubles. General rule of thumb in Chinese numerology is that even numbers are better. As in, like, you know, things are together in fours, even though four is taboo In, in Chinese. In Chinese numerology, four isn't too bad. But if you're hanging them, it should be double unless it's across from the doorway, which is usually one about like, you know, transportation, going in and out, like, you know, going out and returning home peacefully. I think another one that could be put individually would be just like, you know, sometimes people put one on their doorfront. That's okay, but like, make sure that it's centered. It's that kind of goes back in with the feng shui philosophy of being balanced. There's also hanging the word fok, which means fortune. Hong Kong people, I think it's more Cantonese that we hang it upside down because it means fok. as in like, you know, fortune is here. There's another one that I think is officially a Chinese word with the most strokes in it, and it's Beautiful. It's this huge word. It's a mashup of four words called bao," which means like wealth is welcomed here. And it's this one beautiful complicated word that's usually written on a square that I really like as well. If we're talking about good sayings, going back to Lai like, Si, it's good for um, young people around this time of year to have one or two of these um, in their pockets to say if your Chinese isn't that good and there's just two of them that you gotta remember, that would be some sang si sang. Man si seng yi, which is like, you know, whatever your heart wishes, you would get and everything would exceed expectations. That applies to basically everyone. If you've got better Cantonese and you want to say it to someone older, it would be like, you know, Hong, Fu yu and things like that, which means like, you know, good health and longevity. Children, not much going on in their lives but school and their health, so dai, which means growing up healthy and doing well in school. You know, just always have it in your pocket. The first two, some which works for employers, old, young, and everything. <laughs> it's good to have those in your pocket when you're expecting lacy from someone.
1: Well, the Western New Year is just one night, one big party, and then there's this midnight countdown, and it's over. But the Lunar New Year goes longer, much longer. And in Australia right now, they're having a conversation about whether to declare Lunar New Year a public holiday for one day. But it's not just
0: one day, is it? Can you tell us how long it actually goes for? Even in Hong Kong, we only have the first three days off, whereas in mainland China, they actually adjust the work calendar so that people will have a maximum amount of time off. It is the biggest holiday in Chinese culture or Asian culture. Officially, it actually goes for 14 days and ends on a day called yun which is actually Chinese Valentine's Day. But to cycle back, the first day of Chinese New Year is really reserved for close family, like your grandmother, your immediate cousins, your first cousins. And then you spread out to go visit other people. You know, then it comes to like, you know, your your favorite aunt and then um, probably your colleagues or your boss. Those are usually covered within the first few days. Then it comes to the seventh day, which is yanyat, which means everyone's birthday. That is actually a day that you're supposed to open your lacy packets. You're not supposed to open them before that, but I think that's been a bit skirted by now. (laughs) Um, And then um, officially, like, you know, a lot of places you would see that are tradespeople that work a year round. They would actually take it off until like, you know, the ninth or the tenth day. Hairdressers as well. Hairdressers usually, because they had such a rush for haircuts before, they would use the Chinese New Year time, because everyone's had their haircuts, to take their holiday. So a lot of them don't come back until the ninth or the 10th day either. Officially, it ends again, as I said, on the 14th day on Yunsil, which I love. It's such a romantic thought and um, token. So back in feudal China, girls from respectable families really don't leave the house. Like, they're they're not supposed to be seen. You know, they're the precious daughter of the manor. And on the 14th day is Yun which is actually Riddle Day. And they would write riddles on lanterns and hang them up in the town center at night. And this is when the girls get to come out with their chaperones to prove that they're smart, that they can guess these riddles. Because actually, a lot of them are quite hard. Like, you know, they would refer to ancient Chinese texts or very specific parts of culture to prove that you're well read. So, this is a time when the smart boys would come out and, you know, get to check out their neighborhood girls and try to guess a riddle together, like, you know, and smart banter goes along, kind of like a debutante's ball, if you think about it. But like, you know, in Western culture, after the debutante balls and the girl is out, she attends a lot of parties. But it's that one night in the Chinese calendar that you get to check out your, your neighborhood girls.
1: Well, of course, with the borders reopening and the dropping of social distancing measures, it's going to be a special Lunar New Year this year for us in Hong Kong, as well as everyone in mainland China. Of course, we'll find all your stories and stories from the culture team about the Lunar New Year on scmp.com.
0: Yi. Great to talk to everybody. I hope to talk to everyone again soon. That's all for this
1: episode. And that's all for this year of the tiger. The year of the rabbit is almost here. Hundreds of millions of people across mainland China are headed home to see their families in the annual mass migration known as Chen Yun. And everywhere around the world, Chinese people will be sitting down for the reunion dinner and wishing each other good fortune for the year ahead. And we wish that to you too! Don't forget, our awesome interactive Lunar New Year guide will help you find out your Chinese zodiac animal and your guide to the different celebrations and traditions over the next 14 days. And catch up with Lisa's New Year video guide on YouTube. Just search for SEMP. I'm Holly Chick, wishing you and everyone around you San Tai Kin Hong, ti Kang. That means good health in English. And I'll leave you with a more modern Lunar New Year song. 新年, huh? This one's from mainland China, from a hip hop crew known as the Higher Brothers. This is their song, "Gong Xi Fa See you in the new year. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?